0: Hi there, I'm Derek Thorne and this is another news programme brought to you directly from the European Society of Cardiology Congress here in Vienna. Coming up, interviews on how an easy way to detect peripheral arterial disease could give us better cardiovascular risk prediction and the promising effects of the smoking ban in Ireland. But firstly, for patients with ST-elevation myocardial infarction, drug-eluting stents are no longer a suitable option. That's according to the latest conclusions from the Grace Registry that showed higher late mortality for STEMI patients who received drug-eluting stents than among those who had bare-metal stents. This was an observational study that has so far followed patients from 100 hospitals across 14 countries for two years. Sarah Maxwell caught up with Gabriel Stegg from the Hôpital Bichard in Paris. Well, the
1: results are that Mortality is slightly lower in the hospital phase for patients receiving drug-eluting stents, reflecting the fact that they are a slightly lower risk of dying because they have less heart failure when they're admitted and less of the patients undergo primary PCI. Within the six months following hospital discharge, mortality in drug-eluting stents and bare-metal stents patients is identical. From six months to two years, there is an important difference in mortality with with survival being better in patients receiving bare metal stents than drug-eluting stents and that difference is highly statistically significant and persists after adjustment for grace score, and adjustment for the propensity to receive a drug-eluting stent compared to bare metal stent. now this analysis is of course worrying because we're discussing all-cause mortality but we have to remember that this is an observational analysis and the allocation of DDS or BMS was not randomized therefore there is an important potential for bias or confounding so I think this is a very important to keep in mind That being said, I think that given that there is a concern with a late increase in mortality and given that we don't have good long-term follow-up from the randomized clinical trial data yet, and given that the randomized clinical trial data is relatively small, I would urge caution before embracing widespread use of DES in STEMI patients nowadays.
0: Yes, there are limitations here because this is an observational look, but what do you attribute this late mortality in the DES group to?
1: Well, it's of course tempting to speculate whether it's related to late stent thrombosis, and we absolutely have no data to support it because we don't collect angiographic data and we don't even have more detailed data to do pr- a proper adjudication. We're simply looking at mortality, which, after all, is what counts for the patients. But I think indeed uh, the, we did see more reinfarctions in patients with receiving drug eluting stents, suggesting there might be a link to late stent thrombosis. And hypothetically, there are reasons why there would be more. Uh, late stent thrombosis in STEMI patients receiving DES. It's been shown that a large thrombus burden is associated with a higher mortality following DES in STEMI by Dr. Sianos earlier this year in Jack. Uh, we've known for a long time that re of drug eluting stents is far worse than for bare metal stents. And bare metal stents are essentially covered after six months, whereas as late as 40 months after placement, Dr. Virmani has shown that less than 50% of the stent surface is covered. And we know that uh, there is vasoconstriction and thrombus that may result in undersizing with drug eluting stents in STEMI, uh, which may not happen as frequently with bare metal stents. In fact, uh, studies by Dr. Hong and colleagues have looked at the frequency of late acquired malapposition with drug eluting stents compared to bare metal stents, have reported that they are three times as frequent. And that's a good mechanism, hypothetically, to cause late stent thrombosis. So I think there are a host of hypotheses to explain why there might be Uh, an increased mortality with DES compared to BMS in the specific setting of STEMI.
0: You said earlier that there's no circumstance where you would use DES in a STEMI patient. So which patients should be receiving drug eluting?
1: Yes, let me clarify this. I think that for the time being, we should be extremely cautious before using DES in STEMI patients. And personally, I see no major reason to use one because I think restenosis is is not a major concern in STEMI. That being said, I do believe there are important indications for DES in PCI outside of the STEMI population. And I don't think we should abandon DES altogether. I think there are patients for whom they are extremely useful, and I'm thinking about patients who have long lesions in small vessels, who have a high risk of restenosis related, for instance, to diabetes, as long as they are compliant to therapy and they have a low risk of bleeding. I think these candidates, these patients are extremely good candidates for DES, and we should have DES available to treat them.
0: This is a two-year observational look that you've made here. What's the clinical bottom line coming out of this?
1: The clinical bottom line is don't use DES in STEMI until we have long-term safety data from randomized clinical trial data.
0: That was Gabriel Steg. And to get some expert comments on the study, Peter Goodwin spoke to Freke Verhecht of
2: the University Medical
0: Centre in Nijmegen.
2: What I make of this news is that the uh, continuous uh, discussion is uh, revved up about the safety of drug eluting stents. You know drug eluting stents have been invented to prevent restenosis. Restenosis is a very unpleasant and costly complication of stent implantation but it is in fact rather innocent. If you give a drug eluting stent you have less restenosis but more thrombosis and thrombosis of a stent is a malignant and uh, dangerous acute situation. And the problem is that uh, we see in stable patients and unstable patients, and also in STEMI patients, an increase of mortality, not only stent thrombosis, but mortality. But it has to be stated again and again, this is registry data. From the randomized trials, we have much less data, and only randomized trials will give us the final answer. We've got this clear finding from registry study, about ST elevation, acute myocardial infarction, would you say that cautiously now, clinicians should stop using drug eluting stents for this condition? I will never say to doctors, just stop it for all, forever. I think that doctors should be more and more reluctant and thoughtful whether they should put a death stent into a patient. And after this presentation by Dr. Stech, I think this warning is even bigger than it was the day before yesterday.
0: Freik Verhigt speaking there, and more from him shortly. Next, a simple test for atherosclerosis in the legs could save lives by identifying patients with higher cardiovascular mortality risk. That's the message coming out of a study presented at the ESC Congress. Kurt Diem from the University of Heidelberg and his team looked for peripheral arterial disease in over 6,000 patients and then followed them for five years. The study was called GET-ABI, and so what does that stand
3: for? This stands for German Epidemiological Trial on ABI Ankle Brachial Index.
0: And uh, what was the question you were asking here?
3: Well, since years we know that patients with peripheral arterial disease have a really bad destiny. They die 10 years earlier and we wanted to see in this patient group 65 years and older in German general practices what is the mortality in the next five years. How often do they get myocardial infarction? How often do they get strokes? And how is it you were measuring this? Well, we, we diagnosed the disease, peripheral arterial disease, by ABI, ankle brachial index. This is very simple, non-invasive, and it takes about 10 minutes to teach it to a nurse, you are measuring the blood pressures in the arms, measuring the blood pressures in the legs, you divide it and then you get an index. And if your index is below 0.9, you have with a certainty of 98% the disease and you know the patient has the disease. So it's very simple, very quick to get this diagnosed non-invasively. So how many patients were involved and what did you do? 6,800 patients were involved and we saw these patients every six months and we looked first on the prevalence of disease and the prevalence was about 20 percent, 20 percent of these patients had the disease but then we wanted to know how big is the incidence, how many of these patients get myocardial infarction and you can say after one year, three years and five years the incidence of coronary artery disease mortality and death increases threefold. That means the mortality triples in patients with PAD compared to patients with no PAD.
0: As a risk factor, how does this compare to other risk factors that we do use?
3: This is a very important question because it was shown PAD is a strong predictor for mortality, much stronger than hypertension, much stronger than hyperlipidemia. So very important, a strong predictor for high mortality. And so what do you recommend we do now? Well, we have to look at the risk groups, we, have to, we know only won't one third of, of the patients having the, having the disease. Th- that means we know only the tip of the iceberg. We have to diagnose these patients very early to bring them in an optimal situation for a secondary prevention and we have to treat PAD patients as we treat patients with coronary artery disease.
0: You mentioned this test being very easy to do, but I mean is it something that you think could be taken up by many centres?
3: Absolutely. It could be done in any general practice everywhere in Europe and in the world. And you, you teach it and you learn it within 15 minutes. And it costs you about 300 to 400 euros. That means
0: $600. So bottom line then, I mean, how many lives do you think could be saved?
3: We think that about, let's say, one-third of the patients with peripheral arterial disease, one-third could be saved on a long run of about 10 years because these patients die 10 years earlier.
0: Kurt Diem from the University of Heidelberg. And so what
2: did Freik Verheekt make of these findings? Again, this is a registry, important data, but it's an, an, an additional risk factor which was identified by uh, these German researchers. I wonder, though, whether they really did a good multi, uh, multiple uh, logistic regression analysis, whether this is an isolated new risk factor, this uh, index. It's easy to perform, It's as easy as doing a blood test on a certain marker like homocysteine or like cholesterol so that should be more scrutinized. But by concept, by hypothesis, it's very likely that a patient who has asymptomatic, and of course symptomatic, but asymptomatic vascular disease is a high-risk patient. That is very likely. And I fully agree with these researchers that uh, patients who have symptomatic peripheral artery disease are severely undertreated. They are much worse treated worse than our coronary patients, which we see in our offices with stable angina, or in the post-infarction phase, they, ha- they run a si- uh, significant risk. and should, in fact, have the same protection by lifestyle and medication as our uh, coronary uh, patients. And do you think the ABI, the Ankle Brachial Index, is a good thing that doctors should be doing frequently? No, it should be evaluated against the classical risk factors, and if it comes out as a new isolated risk factor, then it should be implemented in our uh, Armatorium for we have to uh, risk classification patients. So we need some more studies on.
0: That was Frik Verheigt of the University Medical Center in Nijmegen. And finally, in this program, the ban on smoking in public places in Ireland has been linked to a decrease in hospital admissions for acute coronary syndromes. This has come out of a fascinating study presented here in Vienna. Edmund Cronin and his colleagues looked at admissions to hospitals in the southwest region of the country before and after the smoking ban was introduced in 2004. And he told me more about
4: this large observational study. In the southern region of Ireland, in in counties Cork and Kerry, we're lucky to have a, a registry which is called the CHAIR registry or Coronary Heart Attack Ireland register, which prospectively uh, registers every patient admitted with chest pain or, or suspected acute coronary syndrome to, to all the eight acute hospitals in the southwestern region. And, and this provides very high quality data from which you can look at trends in, in, in admissions. Okay, so these results then, I mean, how many people does it incorporate and what does it show? Well, the catchment area of the southwest, which would be counties Cork and Kerry, is approximately half a million, and there were about 1,200 admissions or so, or should I say discharges with, with, a, with a discharge diagnosis of acute coronary syndrome, in the year just prior to smoking ban, that's 2003-2004, and about a 1,000 or so for the next two years, which was 04-05, 05-06. And so, I mean, what is that telling you, essentially? Well, it's an observational study. So what it tells us is that there was a drop of 11%, uh, which was a significant drop in admissions with acute coronary syndromes uh, between the year immediately ending on the night before the smoking ban and the year starting the day the smoking ban was introduced it can't definitively tell us that the, this was due to the smoking ban it could be due to other factors we can't rule that out uh, however there was no difference then between the years 0405 and 0506 suggesting that there wasn't a doesn't seem to be a, a trend down in admissions of acute syndromes. Yeah so so that
0: was the, the one th- big thing that changed it in that year where you did see a change. So I mean it, that is quite certainly compelling. I mean is it surprising though? I mean if this is the reason why you see
4: that drop. I mean is it surprising that it's happened so so quickly, you know, in that very year. I don't think it's surprising. There are two mechanisms by which smoking is associated with acute coronary syndrome. The first one is platelet increased platelet stickiness and endothelial dysfunction as a direct result of inhaling cigarette smoke acutely, and that, those effects have been shown by other groups to be evident within 30 seconds of inhaling or being exposed to cigarette smoke. Uh, and uh, the second effect is, is that smokers and, and those regularly exposed to passive smoking uh, have accelerated atherosclerosis. But again, once you once you quit smoking, that you know the risk, the excess risk of, of acute coronary syndrome declines quite rapidly. So I would expect the you know if the introduction of a smoking ban with a subsequent reduction in, in, in exposure to smoke was to impact on coronary syndromes, I'd expect it to impact early, and not not ten years down the line, but to be seen quite early. Is, is
0: there any further study you can do here? I mean, I suppose now that the ban has come in in Ireland, that's your, your chance gone there, but,
4: I mean, could you look at other countries, for example? Uh, we could do, but uh, actually, from, from our point of view, we're, we're just gathering more data for the year. just just ended in March of 7 and uh, that data will be very interesting as well. We have data for three years now, so we'll have, we'll have data for four years, um, one year before and three years after the smoking ban very shortly, and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there then. The smoking bans or anti-smoking legislation has been introduced in a lot of other countries as well, subsequent to Ireland. Ireland was probably the first in, in the world to introduce a very comprehensive smoking ban on a national level, and I expect data to come from these countries as well, there's already been data from Italy, which uh, from the Veneto region in, in northern Italy, published in European Heart Journal, which did show a, a, that the introduction of smoking bans seemed to be associated with a, a decrease in admissions for acute coronary syndromes uh, in those under sixty. Uh, there's also data from a town called Helena in Montana in the US which uh, had a smoking ban in force for about six months which showed a drop in admissions for acute syndromes during those six months and then an increase back to baseline afterwards. So there's been data from two other, two other areas already and I'd expect that uh, as other people introduce anti-smoking legislation that interested groups in those countries would, would pick up on that. Edmund Cronin of Cork University Hospital in
0: Ireland. That's all for this news programme brought to you by the Audio Journal of Cardiovascular
1: Medicine but we'll have another tomorrow so thanks for listening and please do join us then.